Coming up on the Sark Fighter Podcast, meet the person who may represent your best hope in the fight against sarcoidosis. After spending time in these large disease space, spaces, again, children's health, cardiovascular disease, asthma, allergy, I thought it would be so interesting to take what I've learned in those large chronic disease spaces and bring it to the rare disease community. So I spent two years at the Myositis Association, learned a great deal there about rare disease and uh, working with many other rare disease organizations. Mary McGowan is the new CEO of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. She brings a rich history to the table in terms of fundraising and patient outreach. And then FSR reached out to me and offered me the opportunity to be the very first CEO of FSR. And I was so excited about that. And in the interview process, learned about this extraordinary organization doing incredible work to help advance uh, research, patient support, Mm -hmm. education, advocacy efforts impacting sarcoidosis. So I'm honored to be the very first CEO of FSR and working with this extraordinary team, board of directors and scientific advisory board that we have at FSR. Coming up, my interview with Mary McGowan. She'll tell us more about herself and her vision for FSR. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Sark Fighter Podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. The official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter. You can hear his story about how Sark took him off the ice as a hockey player. And that's important. He lives in Canada, in Alberta. Hockey's a big thing up there, and he was big time into it, and all of a sudden he couldn't play anymore. And he talks all about that in episode 12. And uh, his song, uh, his band, the White Hot Lizards, um, is, is more than just a garage band. They're very, very good. They've got some recordings, and they recorded the song Zombie, and proceeds from that song will be donated to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And you really need to go and listen to the whole song because not only is it a, a nice listen and extremely you know well done, professionally produced, the whole nine yards, but um, it's kind of haunting if you have Sark, so, so give it a listen. And of course, I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark, and so are you, whether you're a patient, a researcher, a caregiver, wherever you land in our spectrum of of people who are associated with this disease, uh, you're fighting Sark in some way. Uh, This is, is, as I see it, uh, a place to find some hope, a place where we can all gather, and that hope may come from hearing the story of somebody like a tire farmer, for example, that is getting close to uh, maybe having a drug that can bring some relief to a lot of 
of people, a lot of surf warriors, as it were. Um, or maybe you're hearing hope from somebody who's had just an unbelievably difficult time with sarcoidosis, but is still finding a way uh, to make it, or not only to make it, but to continue to contribute to the greater good. Um, so you, you find the hope where you find it, and I'm looking for it underneath every rock and in every crevice that I can find. You know, and a lot of people tell me that they felt like they were all alone because there's only about 200,000 of us Sark fighters in the United States, and it's not uncommon for someone to say, I don't know anybody else who is suffering from sarcoidosis. So um, that is that is certainly uh, uh, one of the things that we're looking for here. And, and then normally, uh, I just want to let you know, we try to release a new podcast every other Monday, and... Uh, we have been on track with that. We're, we're, we're almost always, uh, I'm almost always able to do that. If you're new to sarcoidosis and you're trying to figure out maybe what you have, what's going on with your body, uh, welcome. Uh, we do some SARC 101 here. Uh, or sorry you're here, uh, but hopefully this will help. And you might want to consider listening to my interview with Dr. Simon Hart in episode two. He kind of goes over uh, everything about sarcoidosis, what non-caseating granulomas are. What I asked him, what would it look like if you could hold it in your hand? And he answers that. Um, so just all the sort of the basics on sarcoidosis in episode two. And that was, um, I wanted to create a baseline for folks. And then... Uh, uh, if you want to know more about me, uh, my story is in episode one, and I just kind of tell you how I got to where I am today, talking into the microphone and giving giving you uh, my sad story. I have neurosarc, and it causes uh, a great deal of numbness in the lower uh, part of my body, and it's kind of made it so I can't do all the things that uh, I, most of the things that I have historically enjoyed doing. Um, and then if you want to know the backstory as to how the foundation for sarcoidosis research came into being, you need to listen to episode 11 with the founders, Andrea and Redding Wilson. Uh, uh, excuse me, Andrea. Um, Andrea has, a, has had a significant struggle with sarcoidosis. And like all of us, she went looking for answers. But back when she started, if you Googled sarcoidosis, there was no foundation, no central place, no one focusing on sarcoidosis. And so 20 years ago this year, she and her husband Redding dug in and started FSR at their dining room table. And it's uh, hearing what she went through and then how we got here uh, to where uh, the foundation has raised millions and millions of dollars. And we've got researchers and an advisory board and all these things that are, that are resulting in a positive direction in the fight for a cure. Uh, all of that started with Andrea and Redding. So uh, please do uh, go back and, and listen to, to that podcast as well. And just a reminder that the Tuesday after Thanksgiving is always Giving Tuesday. That's where people donate to their favorite causes. This one day is, you know, it's designated every year as a day to give. And it, it is to giving what Black Friday is to Christmas shopping. So please, this year, as you approach the holiday season, consider giving a gift to FSR this Giving Tuesday, which is December 1st of 2020. Uh, all right. Now, you may or may not know that the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research uh, not only helps researchers work on solutions for SARC, but they're also specializing in patient outreach 
and helping us cope with SARC, the medications, the search for doctors, the changes in our lives. And then towards that end, uh, in a normal non-COVID year, they would hold uh, meetings around the country. Uh, this year, they were called summits, and there were, were going to be basically two weekends dedicated to sarcoidosis where you would travel to uh, a city and go to a conference and, and talk to other SARC patients and listen to seminars and meet some of the leaders in, in sarcoidosis. This year, of course, we had to do it virtually. And the second summit happened just two days ago as I'm recording this on Monday, November 16, 2020. And that was my first summit experience. Uh, I can tell you I've never, never traveled to one of the cities and been there in person. Uh, but um, man, I, th I thought it was extremely valuable and very well done. You walked in and you actually saw what looked like a conference hall and as if you were in one of these big hotels and you were able to, to go around and uh, check into all the different meeting rooms. There was meeting room A, B, and C, and you could choose which lecturer you wanted to listen to, and, and you could meet other SARC patients, and, and it really worked out very well. And I want, to, uh, I want to tell you, I really enjoyed moderating. Uh, there was a roundtable discussion with Jim Kuhn, who also actually has been on the podcast, episode six, if you want to listen to that, Jessica Reed and Sabrina uh, Sonier, or Sonier uh, who shared their stories and their coping techniques. Jessica talked a lot about how she works out on days that she can and how much it helps and how she just kind of knows which days she can work out and which days she can't, but physical fitness has always been a part of her life. And she has found ways to get it done. And overall, uh, she feels much healthier. And she talked about that because she's working out. And Sabrina's put together a number of 5Ks, three 5Ks. It would have been four this year if not for COVID. And she raises money for FSR. And she talked a little bit about that. Something that I can uh, certainly relate to, having uh, put together a number of 5Ks and uh, even a marathon. Uh, and there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. And she's to be congratulated for, for digging in and doing that. But it's also a great way to raise awareness and money for FSR. And that is something that, uh, that she has done. And she talked a little bit about that in our roundtable. And then Jim is a very active advocate. Uh, and he talked a lot about self-care and giving yourself grace. And man, I can't tell you how important and also how difficult that is to give yourself a break to say this is not going to be a great day and to just back off. And you might have had a long list of uh, things to do on your to-do list and just decide, you just how, how do you decide when today is not going to be the day you do that? Today's not going to be the day you go to the meeting. Today, uh, going back to Jessica, is not going to be the day that you go for a walk or, or work out, or in my case, go for a bike ride. Um, and, and how to just look at the people around you and say, I got to check out today because I'm just not up to it. Um, and that, that's what I find to be difficult. I don't want to disappoint people. I guess I'm a people pleaser. And, and I'm sure that Jim is, and, and I, I think at some level almost everybody is. Uh, but how to give yourself grace and say, today is the day that I'm in the recliner with a heating pad. Um, and that was, that was very interesting. So that's what we talked about in our roundtable discussion. Uh, and then uh, after the roundtable, which was, which was early in the morning, I attended many of the seminars 
And I had some good takeaways. Let me look at my notes here. Um, diet, number one, following something there called the glycemic index. Um, the, the lecturer, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name right now. Call it brain fog. But um, she talked about how wheat, not necessarily gluten, but wheat can be an inflammatory issue and how you might want to stay away from it. And, and for once, as, as a, a result of listening to this, I understand why grass-fed beef and even buffalo is better for us than uh, whatever meat you can, red meat you might find at the supermarket. So uh, that, was, that was one of my takeaways. Uh, and then Dr. Robert Boffman came in. He gave the latest results from his research on whether we're all more prone to getting COVID-19. And uh, he has been on the podcast, by the way, in episode nine, talking about his first round of results from this research. And now he's up to his second. Uh, but I don't see a great deal of difference in what he found early on and what he's finding now. Uh, but in episode nine, he came on and talked about COVID, if you're interested in that. And, if, and Dr. Robert Boffman, by the way, is kind of widely considered as the guy. Uh, in sarcoidosis. He's at the University of Cincinnati. Um, and he is, uh, he treats patients, but he's also a researcher. And now he's doing the COVID-19 research. Um, and so Dr. Boffman is, uh, is certainly uh, somebody that you want to listen to. And you can go back to episode nine and listen to that. But we're still talking about the summit, which happened two days ago. Uh, Jenny Tavi was on uh, was one of the talk uh, speakers, and she talked about some of the alternative approaches to dealing with SARC, including some really interesting options like, are you ready for this, frankincense? Frankincense? Really? Like, I thought that was just something from Christmas stories, but uh, there is something called frankincense, and she talked about some people who are using frankincense uh, and having some good results. So Dr. Uh, uh, so Jenny Tavi uh, will be coming on at some point in the future, but uh, she talked about that, and she talked about something called Feldenkrais. I believe it is. It's a German word, Feldenkrais. Feldenkrais. I'm, I'm not sure. K-R-A-I-S. Uh, don't know what that is. She, she gave a quick reference to it and talked about it a little bit. I'm sure I can Google it, but... Um, I'm just interested in all these options that you didn't know exist. And then she talked about CBD oil, which, of course, comes from uh, marijuana uh, and how a lot of people are getting results from CBD oil. So I want to have her on the show as soon as I can to go into more detail about some of these things. But my takeaway is that these things are out there and and uh, that they're they're worthy of at least consideration. And then later in the day, and I must apologize because I uh, showed up about five minutes late to my own session, uh, had some issues with, uh, with converting Eastern time to Central time and thought I had another hour. But anyway, uh, the, uh, the good folks at FSR called me and said, uh, John, there's people waiting for you. <laughs> and, and so uh, once again, I humbly apologize. Um, but I want to thank everybody who stopped by to hang out and chat in the lounge. I uh, made some great connections there. And I do want to follow up on, uh, on many of those stories. So uh, you'll hear some of those going forward on the Sark Fighter podcast. But so good to, uh, to meet some, some new and fellow Sark fighters. Now, today, my guest is Mary McGowan. And Mary is uh, newly in place as the CEO 
of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. I want to tell you a little bit more from her bio. She has 35 years of nonprofit leadership management, fundraising, and public policy experience. Uh, she spent a decade at the uh, with executive leadership at Woman Heart, which is the National Coalition, Coalition for Women with Heart Disease, and that is the uh, she was the primary representative there of the leading cause of death in women. And then she comes to FSR from uh, directly as being the executive director of the Myositis Association, which is commonly called TMA. Um, and she, uh, while she was there, I'm just kind of scrolling down through her bio here. Uh, as the executive director at TMA and a first-time leader in the rare disease community, Mary was featured and highlighted as a preeminent rare disease leader by numerous entities, including the American Autoimmune Related Disease Association, Global Genes, and the National Organization for Rare Diseases for her innovative national campaigns, including Women of Color and Myositis, and her leading telemedicine initiatives for autoimmune patients during COVID-19. As CEO of Women Heart, representing 48 million American women living with or at risk of heart disease, her achievements included uh, successfully raising more than $9 million from a single retail partnership, growing the organization's staff from seven employees to 27 in less than a decade, and creating and implementing Women Heart's National Hospital Alliance, comprised of hospitals committed to advancing women's heart health, a partnership with hospitals nationwide that seeks to ensure that women heart disease patients in every community have uh, heart disease patients in every community have access to information, education, and patient support services, all of which is exactly what we are looking for uh, in the fight against sarcoidosis. So, uh, and, and Mary's uh, bio is uh, available. Uh, there's a little bit more information in here, but we're going to hear more about it directly from her, and I'll put a link to her bio in the show notes. So we are coming up then on my interview with Mary McGowan, and that is up next here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. Hi. I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast, and today I am very excited to be bringing to you an interview with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research's first CEO, Mary McGowan, and she'll be joining us and talking all about uh, her plans for the future of FSR and everything that's going on right now. Mary, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, John, for this wonderful opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, I tell you, uh, there's so much going on with, uh, with FSR, and we've been, um, I know that they've been uh, waiting for a while to, uh, to announce your, um, your arrival 
as the first ever CEO of FSR, which is sort of an upgrade from the previous leadership position, which was called executive director. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got here. Well, my journey to FSR really started when I was five years old, believe it or not. Um, back when I was a child, uh, I spent about a month in Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Hospital in New York City. Uh, they thought that I had cancer at the time. And I was one of the very fortunate uh, children that did not have cancer, but I spent a month there and got a very early education about the importance of good quality healthcare, access to healthcare. And also I, was, I experienced a lot of deformity and ongoing visits to the cancer clinic uh, after uh, I got out of the hospital. So that had a profound impact on me as a child. And I knew early on that I wanted to uh, go through college and graduate school and dedicate my life to speaking up uh, for patients who, because of their illness, may not have the opportunity to speak up for themselves. So after graduating from graduate school, I actually reached out to the American Academy of Pediatrics and I spent 18 years there speaking up on behalf of children's health issues uh, in an effort to give back to my good fortune and to help other children. After that, I then moved on to Asthma and Allergy Network and again, working primarily on children's issues with regards to state laws uh, impacting their opportunity to carry EpiPens in schools and also on food allergy issues. And then I also served as CEO of Women Heart, the National Coalition for Women with Heart Disease, the leading cause of death of women, impacting 48 million American women. And I was there for eight years. And then I moved to the Myositis Association. I thought, oh, after spending time in these large disease space, spaces, again, children's health, cardiovascular disease, asthma, allergy, I thought it would be so interesting to take what I've learned in those large chronic disease spaces and bring it to the rare disease community. So I spent two years at the Myositis Association, learned a great deal there about rare disease and uh, working with many other rare disease organizations. And then FSR reached out to me and offered me the opportunity to be the very first CEO of FSR. And I was so excited about that. And in the interview process, learned about this extraordinary organization doing incredible work to help advance uh, research, patient support, mm -hmm. education, advocacy efforts impacting sarcoidosis. So I'm honored to be the very first CEO of FSR and working with this extraordinary team, board of directors and scientific advisory board that we have at FSR. Well, I tell you, welcome uh, uh, on behalf of the organization in as much as I can speak <laughs> as, a, as a volunteer. Uh, but uh, I'm very excited to, to have um, to have you in charge and looking forward to seeing where the organization goes. Um, now, you, you've been in the rare disease space for a little while. What, what is unique, what is and difficult about working in these, in, when you're trying to advocate on behalf of an orphan disease? 
Well, first of all, I think in looking at rare diseases and the unique challenges that we have in this space, you know, typically a person who is diagnosed with rare disease, that can take up to five to seven years to get that uh, accurate diagnosis. And in the meantime, patients are left with a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety about you know, what is wrong with them, the signs and symptoms that they may be experiencing, and the fact that you know, unfortunately, uh, they may be going to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, trying to find the answers. And this is an extraordinary opportunity, I think, for the rare disease space to work together to bring more education to uh, clinicians and to the general public about rare diseases and ensuring that patients feel empowered during their physician visits to ask uh, questions about rare diseases and bring that to the forefront. Uh, again, we look at rare disease symbol, right, being the zebra. When you hear who's coming, right, uh, it may not just be your, your horses that are, are galloping along. Sometimes we bring zebras into the community, i.e. rare diseases. And it's critically important uh, that patients understand that they may have something very unique and something very rare, uh, and to be sure that they are asking questions and doing research on the internet to help empower themselves to figure out uh, what might be ailing them. So I think that's the first thing. And the second thing I think is with the rare disease community is just the opportunity for working and collaborating with other rare disease organizations. We know this about autoimmune diseases, that many times um, patients will have multiple autoimmune diseases, right? There's overlapping of diseases. So it's important to be working collaboratively together so that we all understand this and that we can support one another and support patients um, on their journey living with autoimmune diseases. I'll tell you, and this is something that I've heard over and over from the people who've been on the podcast, which is the, the difficulty in getting doctors to collaborate. It's If I could get all the doctors in the United States in one room and say, you all need to talk to each other. You, you, you guys need to, and I had two doctors from different disciplines who worked on the same floor in the same hospital, and I couldn't get them to talk to each other. So I had a neurologist telling me I needed one kind of medicine, uh, and a rheumatologist telling me I needed another. Both of them seemed entirely credible to me, but going in completely different directions. And I, as the patient, am not qualified to decide. Uh, you know, I'm there to get the advice from my doctor, and my doctors are telling me two different things. Um, and I only have, as far as I know, one ailment, which is sarcoidosis. I don't, you know, everybody says sarcoidosis brings friends, which is <laughs> the patient way of, of saying what you just said. So you have multiple, uh, multiple rare diseases. I only have one, and I couldn't get my doctors to decide. I, I, is there anything we can do about that as an organization? Well, it's such an interesting question, and thank you for raising that. And it's so interesting what's happening in the world today with COVID and telemedicine, right? 
And so a lot of patients and doctors have had to switch to, um, you know, these uh, Zoom sessions or electronic sessions uh, uh, and to uh, have doctor visits uh, over the internet. And John, I think this provides a wonderful opportunity to solve some of what you're talking about. I mean, imagine if you could get your team of doctors uh, at the same time during a telemedicine visit where the uh, doctors together can be talking with the patient and with today's technology and everybody's usage of this wonderful technology, this is a reality that can really, I believe, should be taking place when patients are having their telemedicine visits, to invite the other doctors to those, op to those appointments, to be able to have a much more team approach where everybody is having the opportunity to talk at the same time. And I think this is one of the many benefits of telemedicine and the world that we are living in today. Yeah, you, you know, you, you came from myositis, uh, which is not a, a, an illness that I'm familiar with, but it sounds like there probably are a lot of parallels between sarcoidosis and myositis. Did, did you find there, and are you perceiving now in your short time in office, that there's just not enough doctors um, yes, it's, well, it's challenging to find. Yes, first of all, not enough doctors who, uh, of course, have uh, specialty uh, in the areas of myositis and or uh, sarcoidosis, right? So we want to be able to sure, uh, um, you know, ensure that we have doctors who are very familiar and with a great understanding of the disease. And that's why FSR has a, a physician uh, directory um, that we are, you know, um, you know, keeping track of the doctors doctors that have uh, specialty and knowledge in this area. But yes, that is, that is a, a problem and that also contributes, of course, to being accurately diagnosed because what happens is going from doctor to doctor, you have to get to the doctor that become or is familiar with that disease who can accurately diagnose and treat you um, accordingly. So yes, we want to be able to provide more education to more doctors to bring them into that fold so that when they see the signs and symptoms and the test results that uh, they can also uh, accurately diagnose uh, sarcoidosis and other uh, rare diseases. Yeah, I've got to give a shout out to my doctors at the Cleveland Clinic because they do this. They'll, they'll come in and they'll say, I've, you know, I've talked with Dr. So-and-so, and I'm just using that because I, I, don't, I, I don't have permission to use their names, but you know, they, they will say, yeah, I've talked to uh, your neurologist or your rheumatologist or your pulmonologist, and, um, and we are in agreement that this is the path forward for you. Uh, this is what we recommend. What what do you think? And it was like, well, you're at you're finally asking me. You know, what 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 do I think? Um, based upon the data they've given me, um, the, the the when I just mentioned before, the doctors who couldn't agree didn't give me the data, so I was sort of blindly trying to decide which doctor do I believe. Um, not to make this about me, but it's just some of the things that you are talking about are resonating with me, and I know from talking to so many folks here on the podcast and, and, and working with other, some of the other FSR uh, opportunities, including our recent summit, that this is, this is the kind of stuff you hear over and over and over. These experiences are not unique to me. Um, so when we look at FSR right now, uh, where, where are we in terms of research, in terms of fundraising? You know, 
can you can you just kind of set the table for for what you're walking into and 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 the status of the organization right now? Absolutely. So FSR recognizes that the sarcoidosis patient's best hope for a cure lies in research. And FSR has developed relationships with the world's most really significant scientists and clinicians who work to understand and treat sarcoidosis. And we are supported by a very esteemed scientific advisory board of approximately 20 of the world's leading sarcoidosis experts. And, you know, we are trying through our research funding um, to help raise awareness among healthcare professionals and medical trainees, um, hoping not only to bring recognition to the symptoms and treatment, but also to inspire young physicians and scientists to a career devoted to helping sarcoidosis patients. And in that light, um, FSR has given out $5 million of research funding, and some of that funding goes to fund uh, fellowship support for postdoctoral trainees and seed money to develop innovative pilot projects that will support larger funding opportunities down the road for these sarcoidosis projects. And many of these researchers are working, you know, to unravel the mysteries that we've been talking about today um, of sarcoidosis. Um, and um, th this is a really uh, huge opportunity for FSR to continue movement in this area and for patients to enroll in clinical trials and research. Uh, to ensure that we all working together gain a much better understanding of sarcoidosis uh, disease and also um, to unfold uh, better therapies and eventually a cure for sarcoidosis. So it's a really big effort that FSR has. We raise a lot of money. Um, most, most of the money, believe it or not, comes from individuals living with the disease, uh, their family members, but it also does come from corporate partners uh, who understand the importance of FSR continuing to fund this uh, really important and innovative uh, research. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, um, I work with a number of local organizations and here in the Roanoke, Virginia area. And uh, I know all about uh, trying to fundraise and, and trying to get money either from grants or from individuals or from corporate sponsors, and, and it's never easy. Uh, do you see a path forward for FSR to tap into some new funding sources or bigger funding sources or more partners? Or uh, are, you, are you getting a feel for that? I do. I think there's a, a lot of opportunity uh, to uh, expand the horizon of the current corporate partners uh, that FSR has. And let me just say to the FSR corporate partners, thank you for your ongoing support, for the opportunity to work together on really creative programmatic activities that are making a huge difference for patients and clinicians in the sarcoidosis field. And without that support as a nonprofit, we could not do the work that we are doing. Um, but yes, I think there are opportunities. And I'll get, give an example. When I was CEO of Women Heart, you know, cardiovascular disease, our largest funder, believe it or not, and partner was Burlington Stores, Burlington Coat Factory. Hmm. The relationship resulted in a $9 million support campaign impacting uh, cardiovascular disease in women. 
And I bring that as an example because it's just amazing. And I, I just have so much respect for Burlington Stores, who really uh, is a, a caring corporate partner, really leading the way and showing others how they can become engaged in this type of really important healthcare uh, situation uh, and make a difference. And so I do believe that there are partners like that for sarcoidosis uh, that we can definitely be collaborating with. And it's not just about the financial support, it's really about reaching people uh, who are at highest risk uh, where they are. Um, and for women, right, uh, a lot of women are shopping. So while they're shopping, um, do in-store events, you know, give out educational information uh, about the disease and about how they can, uh, you know, prevent diseases and, and health in general. And I think the more that we can do that as a nation, uh, the more impact we will have on reaching uh, people, particularly people um, with just general awareness uh, who may not be impacted with a disease, uh, who can help spread the information. So yes, I do believe there are opportunities for many, many uh, more partnerships and we look forward to working with other corporate partners who are interested in collaborating with us. Yeah, yeah. so you, you talk about Burlington Coat Factory. Um, of course, uh, when you talk about women and heart health, that, you know, that is a, a leading cause of, uh, of death for women. Um, and that would be kind of their target demo. I'm thinking if you're a Burlington Coat Factory would be you know, women primarily shop there. Um, with sarcoidosis, we just have to get people to know how to say it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? this is true. <laughs> you have what? You have what? And so uh, if, uh, if we can get the word out there so people have an awareness of it, then you get these, uh, you know, these sort of public-facing corporate sponsors. They might be much more interested in helping us out. Don't you think that's true? I think that's very true. Uh, and I do think that's a, a challenge, uh, first of all, with any rare disease, but secondly, with a rare disease that it's uh, somewhat hard to, uh, hard to pronounce uh, and, uh, and, and hard to even spell for that matter. Uh, it took me a while uh, coming in. So I do think that that is a challenge and I think some creative communication programs uh, can really help, uh, help with that issue uh, and uh, help us uh, continue to get awareness information out there about the disease. I think it's critically important. And then how far are we from being able to tap into NIH money? That's where you get into real money, the National Institute of Health. Have you had a chance to think about that, work on that at all? Yeah, actually, um, I'm very interested in working with the NIH, and I might add the FDA, too. I think uh, working with these uh, amazing federal agencies doing extraordinary work, that there's tremendous opportunity for FSR to engage with these uh, two institutions, uh, perhaps more than what we currently are doing. Um, I think uh, an opportunity to do a patient-focused drug development session with the FDA will really help uh, raise more awareness to FDA about the lived experience, you know, patients being able to share their stories of, of not just the science part of the disease, but what are the real challenges and barriers in living with sarcoidosis on a daily basis? And these are endpoints that really need to be included in research, right? Um, and making sure that the, those 
uh, who are doing research have the opportunity to hear directly from patients. And with NIH, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, the funding, pilot funding that we provide uh, for uh, pilot programs, uh, hopefully those and many of them have gone on to get uh, NIH larger funding uh, to help continue with those, those programs. And the more that we can do that and the more that we can work with NIH uh, to raise more uh, funding for uh, research and to support these important research programs uh, will only benefit uh, a more uh, speedy uh, resolution to providing uh, better therapies and again, finding a cure for sarcoidosis. Yeah. I want to shift gears just a little bit here uh, and talk about COVID and sarcoidosis. And I know that FSR uh, was involved early on with uh, Dr. Boffman. Uh, he did the initial survey. He's been here on the podcast and uh, talked about the uh, incidence of COVID uh, in sarcoidosis patients, how often you do, if you have SARC, do you get COVID more easily or immune suppressed? We take all these drugs. And then if you um, get it, um, uh, if you uh, uh, get it is, it, is it a worse situation for you? So uh, uh, do we have additional information right now that we can talk about in terms of COVID? Well, it's so exciting because FSR teamed up with the University of Cincinnati to seek information on how COVID-19 may impact the, the sarcoidosis community. And so early on in the early months of COVID, um, FSR uh, and, the, and the university launched a survey for sarcoidosis patients um, to really seek uh, and, and better understand whether sarcoidosis patients are more likely to contract COVID-19 and if they have worse outcomes uh, than, than otherwise healthy individuals, and if certain medications or demographic factors affect the risk of COVID um, in sarcoidosis patients. So by September, um, we had five, over 5,000 sarcoidosis patients, largely from America and some from Europe, that had completed this really interesting survey. And of these, 140 individuals reported being infected with COVID-19 and actually 18 of the individuals reported being hospitalized for the illness. So we saw the overall rate of COVID-19 infection in these respondents was 2.15%, suggesting an increased rate of COVID infection in sarcoidosis patients. But researchers were unable to identify an increased risk associated with race or use of prednisone or any specific immunosuppressant treatment at this point. Um, I think what's most interesting about the survey results is that in the sample of sarcoidosis patients, the most obvious risk factor for COVID-19 infection was having a roommate or a housemate with COVID-19. So this means that hygiene measures and distancing are extremely important for those living with uh, sarcoidosis at home as well as in the public. And I know that people are very vigilant with wearing masks in the public, right? But the, this survey results really points to the importance of being diligent in your own home when you're living with other people in your home environment. 
And this is why FSR continues to urge our community to practice safe hygiene and distancing practices and uh, not to just do that out in the public, but to also do that in their home when they're living with others and to refer to their local health departments as well for further guidance on this. So it's really interesting, uh, the survey results of this and the results of the study, we're very excited, are going to be published in the Sarcoidosis Journal in late 2020. Gotcha, gotcha. So we'll look for that and, uh, and I can report out on that. Um, if, uh, if you guys would help me uh, be aware when that actually is published so I, so I don't miss it along the way and we can, I can talk more about that. It's probably worth its own podcast you know, now that I think about it. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting information. Thank you, Mary. And we are talking uh, with Mary McGowan, who is the new CEO of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research here on the Sark Fighter podcast. We're talking with Mary McGowan, who is the new CEO of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And, and Mary, one of the things that um, is new is the Patient Advisory Committee, the PAC, uh, of which I'm a member. And the, that is one of the things that, that I'm excited about. And, and I know the organization is because it's, it's going to enlarge the, the voice of the patient in the whole foundation process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, and John, thank you so much for being a member of this new initiative, the Patient Advisory Council. It's such an important new initiative and we greatly appreciate uh, your leadership in this. And uh, we know that we're going to be accomplishing great things as a result of forming this uh, PAC. So this was a program that was initiated at the beginning of 2020. And the whole purpose of it uh, is to provide patient representation to various key stakeholders and to enhance patient care as well as research experience and education within the scientific community to better deliver treatment options for sarcoidosis. We believe that the PAC will help to identify gaps within the sarcoidosis community and work with FSR to fill these gaps for the purpose of the patient voice and patient care moving forward. Um, we recognize the need for a higher level representation in the sarcoidosis patient community uh, in FSR's original structure. And this is why we went ahead and formed this committee to enhance that structure that already exists within the organization. Um, as part of these efforts, uh, we really value and want to highlight uh, the patient's stories. We recognize there's nothing more powerful than a patient's story in explaining and uh, providing the experience of living with the disease. So this helps identify the barriers and challenges for patients and care partners, and it also serves as a bridge between patients and researchers who aim to help them. So we're going to be doing some training associated with this, and these patient stories are going to help activate and inspire and provide information um, in the broad sense uh, in terms of living with sarcoidosis and help us uh, advance our efforts. And again, so excited about this and thank you so much for your leadership on this wonderful new initiative. Well, yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy to, uh, to do whatever I can, certainly. Uh, and I cannot imagine uh, that uh, 
hearing the stories that we've heard here on the podcast uh, would not uh, have some impact on anybody who was making a decision regarding uh, sarcoidosis, the seriousness of sarcoidosis, the difficulty in living with the disease, the, the way it, it completely rearranges people's lives. And, you know, we've lost a number of uh, our SARC warriors in the past year. I, I think the number I heard recently was about 30 uh, that we're aware of. And so uh, it's not usually a, a fatal disease, but it can be. But in the meantime, it's a complete pain in the butt. Uh, or worse for, for a lot of people, um, myself included. So um, I'm glad that, that uh, patients have a voice and, and I'm appreciative of the fact that, uh, that people are willing to listen. Well, we're very excited about it. We hope to uh, use this first hack uh, as a, a pilot uh, program, if you will, and then continue to grow the PAC program uh, and identify different PACs that can help uh, in more specific uh, areas as we continue to grow this new initiative. So uh, very exciting uh, to be a, a part of this growth and really looking forward to working with many more uh, patients engaged in these uh, PACs and the growth of this unique initiative. Well, that's just awesome. So um, now, you know, can, do you want to tell us any more about, you've talked about sarcoidosis and I asked you how you got here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, on a personal level? Yeah, uh, well, people, people need to know, you know, who's leading us here. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, so my real passion in life, believe it or not, are, are oceans, uh, scuba diving. Uh, I'm an avid scuba diver. I've been diving uh, since my early 20s. I've traveled around the world, uh, and I just can't say enough about the beauty and the experience of being in our oceans with the magnificent marine life. Uh, and actually, as a side note to that, uh, it's also been uh, studied, I think, John, as you know, uh, with aquariums and people viewing uh, the uh, beautiful fish swimming uh, in the aquariums and in our oceans, it actually uh, provides health benefits. It helps to lower blood pressure, uh, stress levels, and many other things. So perhaps that's why I enjoy it so much. Uh, but it really is a, a huge passion of mine, and I really, uh, really enjoy doing that. Um, and uh, so interestingly enough, I guess life can start over in your 60s. I'm recently married, uh, spent uh, much of my life being uh, single. And so this has been a really fun thing. And I live in the mountains of West Virginia uh, in ski country. I'm also an avid skier and uh, looking forward to the winter, which is fast approaching. And I, I just, again, really um, am so honored to be the first uh, CEO of uh, FSR. Uh, this is a passion of mine to help to speak up for patients and to work with patients for better patient outcomes. Uh, and I have really dedicated my life to that. And it's just wonderful to be in the rare disease community and working with the sarcoidosis uh, community to continue my passion. Well, that, that's awesome. Uh, you and I have a lot in common. I grew up skiing in uh, the Northeast and New York and Vermont um, and Massachusetts and just loved it up there. And then uh, when I moved south, I did a lot of skiing in, in West Virginia, uh, including up where, where you are there. Um, 
And uh, yeah, in fact, we were uh, on the news this week showing that Snowshoe Mountain, which is a little bit higher in elevation even than where you are, is already making snow for the year here in early November. So uh, ski season is right around the corner and I'm very excited. Uh, we're very excited too. A state senator, uh, Mr. Chip Perfect, just bought Timberline Mountain here and has just invested $14 million uh, in the mountain. So this is the grand opening. And the other exciting thing up here is Elon Musk, you may have seen this international news most recently, uh, is going to be um, working on a, uh, a tube, basically traveling tube, uh, that he's going to institute in the United States and amazing results. We'll be able to travel from New York to Washington DC in about 20 minutes uh, in, this, yeah. in this tube. So very exciting things happening for West Virginia uh, in snow community. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, you're, as the crow flies, you're not that far away from all those metropolitan centers. So you just drive to the tube and then uh, I, we did a story on the news the other night. I think it goes 700 miles an hour, yes. and, it's, and the and the car is suspended in in the middle of a magnetic field. And I hope we see that in my lifetime. That would be so cool. It uh, would just be to amazing. Do it as, you know, yes. yeah, yeah. Amazing to be able to travel that. Uh, quickly, uh, both for enjoyment and bringing it back to sarcoidosis. Imagine you'll be able to go to leading experts throughout the uh, United States in short order uh, to yeah. get to your, your doctor visits and to see specialists. So very exciting things to come uh, on that front. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that even with all that, that it keeps West Virginia wild and wonderful and remote. Uh, <laughs> up there where, where you are, because I just, I just love it up there. Uh, I'm a mountain biker too, which I talk about a fair amount on the blogs and, and uh, you're, you're right in the middle of mountain bike heaven as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, welcome and congratulations on the recent uh, marriage as well. Very nice. I didn't know Thank that. You. Thank yeah. you, John. <laughs> it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, so We've, we've talked a little bit about uh, just where everything is, and now we know you a little bit. Do you, do you have a vision for FSR that maybe you could share with us? I think for FSR, the, there are so many opportunities uh, that await uh, future success that has already uh, that the organization has already experienced in their 20 years. I think people know that FSR uh, is celebrating its 20th year anniversary this year. Um, and again, an amazing organization doing extraordinary work. And uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity to be able to build upon that extraordinary work uh, into the next 20 years. And so I think the opportunity uh, for more patient engagement with their, their uh, stories that they're sharing and this new leadership structure. I think engaging more with the FDA and the NIH, like we had been talking about, um, offer providing uh, just extraordinary outcomes for patient uh, research is really important and exciting. I think the opportunity for collaborating with new partners in ways that we have not partnered before as an organization offers just unlimited opportunity to reach new people throughout the United States. Uh, and I think just in terms of the esteemed 
scientific advisory board that we have, these, uh, these incredible leaders who are working tirelessly uh, to engage with them, to continue on their efforts, and with our clinics, our sarcoidosis clinics that are continuing to grow across the country, collaborating with them more, supporting them more in their efforts as they work with patients across the nation. These are just huge opportunities that await us in our next 20 years. And I'm very excited to be a partner with it, uh, working with the leadership and of course, our amazing FSR staff team uh, who do just extraordinary work on a daily basis. Well, that's outstanding. And, and the more clinics we have, the better, because uh, I'm, I'm currently driving seven hours from my home to get to the Cleveland Clinic, to, to the sarcoidosis uh, doctors up there. And you know, it'd be nice. And, and there are a couple closer. I just decided if I was going to drive, I was, I was going to go for, you know, the best. Um, and that, that was, according to my research, that just seemed like the thing to do. Um, we do have local doctors that know what sarcoidosis is, and we have local patients here in, in Western Virginia, but um, having a clinic where there's a, just a dedicated team and what they do is sarcoidosis was important to me as a patient. And having doctors that understand that when you have sarcoidosis, you're going to be dealing with multiple disciplines of medicine. So uh, at one point I had, well, in this point I have a rheumatologist, I have a neurologist and I have a pulmonologist and, and I need all of those doctors to give me guidance, but they need to know that the other doctor is in the picture. And so when, when you do these clinics, my experience in Cleveland is, is that they understand that when I go to other places, they don't. And that that's, you know, that's, you know, speak, speaking as a patient, that's critical. That's Absolutely. Critical. I, I can't agree more. And I think the other thing that's unique, a unique opportunity that awaits us with uh, these clinics that are continuing to grow uh, is work around clinical trials, right? We need to, right. we need to do better to ensure that clinical trials are for all individuals. And when we look at uh, autoimmune diseases, um, really impacting uh, about 75% of women who make up autoimmune diseases. Um, and we know that it's been shown that women participate in clinical trials at a lower rate than men do. So in working with uh, these, uh, these clinics, um, there's an opportunity uh, to consider trial design and patient engagement um, that will help uh, impact more women uh, enrolling in clinical in trials. And we know that challenges uh, that women face in clinical trials, you know, can include their future fertility, their balancing of family and job and health demands, and the increased likelihood of, of being caregivers for themselves. And these are unique things for women um, that need to be, I think, taken into consideration um, when we look at this. Also, um, you know, women living with rare disease are at more significant risk of financial challenges, um, creating scaffolding of support for women for these uh, uh, barriers will really help uh, in terms of getting more women enrolled in clinical trials. And I think finally, 
Um, we really need to consider the unique challenges for those in underserved and diverse populations living with rare diseases like sarcoidosis. So we know that women of color have a higher prevalence, right? So it's crucial to have significant representation from this population in clinical trials. And I think by working with our clinics, um, we can help solve some of these barriers and some of these issues to make sure that we have uh, the exact uh, representation that we're looking for. Yeah, and, I, and I'd be remiss right now if I didn't mention that in uh, uh, a previous podcast, Oziyama Chioma, uh, who is a postdoctoral fellow, is uh, working on research concerning women, and she has she has found a link. It hasn't been uh, completely vetted yet, and it's up for peer review. But um, but her research indicates that there's a direct link between uh, hormonal situations in women and yes. uh, sarcoidosis. And so uh, that paper, once it's properly vetted, will be published, and that'll give us a, you know, a new baseline, as it were, uh, for, for that. And, and I'm sure uh, if we can find the link between hormones and sarcoidosis in women, then we can start finding ways to manage that. And that, you know, if it's not a cure, it certainly could be an improved situation for a lot of people. So... Absolutely. So, so critical and such an interesting, uh, interesting work uh, and needs definitely more attention uh, to be able to uh, determine that uh, in terms of cause uh, and effect of sarcoidosis, as well as other diseases. Um, and again, uh, clinician uh, education in this area is critically important. I know when I was uh, at Women Heart, we did a study um, asking about uh, women in clinical trials. And the number one reason that women gave for not enrolling in clinical trials, at least in the heart space, was that they were not having the dialogue with their doctors about it. The doctors were not mentioning it. Um, and so therefore it was off the radar. Uh, and so I think if we can bring more attention to this, uh, to doctors who are serving, uh, servicing um, and caring for rare disease patients, uh, we'll have better uh, outcomes in that area as well. All right, well, Mary McGowan, thank you very much for joining us here on the Sark Fighter podcast. We are so uh, excited to have you uh, at the helm of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research and I appreciate you sharing your vision for the organization and for the treatment of sarcoidosis. And uh, we just wish you all the best. And of course, if I can do anything, uh, just, just let me know. We're, we're, we're here with a voice. Well, thank you, John. This has been a, just an extraordinary opportunity. Uh, very enjoyable speaking with you on this podcast. And thank you so much again for this opportunity. And thank you for all the leadership that you are doing in the sarcoidosis space as well. We look forward to continuing our efforts together. So many thanks to Mary McGowan for joining me here on the Sark Fighter podcast and more importantly for all she is doing in the fight against sarcoidosis. Uh, all the information from the summit will be in the show notes along with uh, as many links as I can muster. Thanks again to all the people who stopped by to chat in the lounge at the summit. I really enjoyed getting to know more of my fellow Sark Fighters. And I hope that if you are listening that you are finding this podcast helpful in some way. So please send me an email in the show notes or follow the Sark Fighter on Instagram and also on 
Facebook, and you can message me through the Facebook page. And thanks so much again to Mary McGowan, FSR's first CEO, for joining me here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. Until next time, keep fighting. <laughs>